HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving. Growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. What you are about to hear is a special episode of The Food Scene, recorded off-site, now broadcasting live on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Sebastopol, California, which is a little rural town in Sonoma County, and uh, my family lived on an apple orchard, um, and my sort of upbringing was very bucolic, and we had a big vegetable garden, and played outside a lot of the time, and um, I'm assuming, obviously, you, you were eating those apples and tending to that garden. Um do you remember being kind of, not agrarian, but in, in the farm at a young age, doing all those things? Yeah, definitely. Like, my, my parents didn't um, work the orchard. Like, that wasn't their job. We had other people come in, and we sold the apples once a year. It was only a couple acres, so it wasn't, um, you know, a huge amount of apples. But we definitely ate those apples <laughs> and cooked everything imaginable with them. Yeah, it's, it's like Forrest Gump with the shrimp or yes. Bubba Gump oh Shrimp Company. So what, what were all the apple things <laughs> that you cooked? Apple pie, apple strudel, apple cake, dried apples, applesauce. <laughs> was, was, was there a point in your life where you're like, no more goddamn apples, I'm done with uh, apples? Not really, I love apples, yeah. <laughs> and I'm really picky about my apples, too. So, so what are your apples? What are the ones, the varieties that you often eat? So on the orchard we had Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, Roman Beauty, and Jonathan's, and I think... 
probably golden delicious are still my favorite, but um, you can rarely get them very crisp in the grocery store, so I end up buying Fuji's. Yeah. Um, mm. What is the flavor profile of all those apples you just mentioned? Because you see an apple, and an apple tastes like an apple. You know, there's, there's red apples and green apples for most, but there's obviously a lot more than just that. So tell me about each specific variety you mentioned and what they kind of taste like. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can decipher between them, but there's definitely so much more flavor in an apple that's just been picked. Um, and I think I can also, like, really tell when the apple is perfectly ripe because I ate a lot of non-ripe apples coming off the trees. Maybe it's ready today. was well, not ready. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, like, a maybe more of a textural thing, the crispness um, and the sweetness maybe even more than, like, the flavors that are different between the different types. So let's talk about that colic living. Um, explain the scene because... Right now, I mean, we're in such beautiful forestry, <laughs> but what was the land like where you grew up? So there were also actually a lot of redwood trees, which are native to Northern California, which we have here uh, in Woodside, but um, it was just a big orchard and surrounded by um, other orchards and um, sort of the, the property itself was surrounded by redwood trees and redwood groves and bay trees and eucalyptus and um yeah i don't know there's a lot of vineyards also nearby in sonoma county but we're also um it's near the town of occidental where we lived so it's not too far from the coast so you also get some sort of coastal fog coming in once in a while like you do here too what did your parents do my mom owns a dog grooming shop and my dad is a contractor where did your artistic ambitions start? Was it through school? Was it through work? Was it through that beautiful setting of Sebastopol? Yeah, I think all of it. I mean, I have a pretty artistic family. Um, I have a couple relatives who are professional artists, and my parents are really creative people, so I think they always really encouraged that. You know, they always encouraged um, you know, us to take classes, and really when it came time for me to think about whether or not I wanted to major in art or start a career in art, they were so supportive and really um, encouraged that. Um, but growing up, I went to um, a little country art studio in Sebastopol um, where I took classes a couple times a week, and that was really formative, I think. It was watercolor classes, mostly watercolor. This woman had a little cottage studio surrounded by this awesome garden and, you know, orchards and vineyards and um, I would go after school and I loved it and I started going there I think probably when I was like five years old um, and did just a lot of painting growing up and then you know also took a lot of other classes like sculpture and everything and it wasn't really until college I think that I got into photography more. So all these mediums uh, what ended up being your muse was it nature was it was it food? Yeah I mean I think nature has a, a big part uh, plays a big part in it um, and you don't really realize that you know I guess you know, moving back here to the woods after being in New York for so many years, it was sort of like this, I don't know, reawakening a little bit for me creatively. And I think it's in a way connecting to my roots and the way I grew up that obviously had a big impact on me. Um, but also food. You know, I, I wouldn't say that like my parents are foodie gourmands, but food was always very much part of the equation. Like my mom had a huge vegetable garden that we cooked from year round and we grew up vegan actually. So there was always a lot of discussion around, 
<laughs> what are we going to make? Because this was the 80s and there weren't, you know, really good vegan tofu options. It was like weird tempeh burgers. And, <laughs> um, you know, we made a lot of the, the, the veggie burgers from scratch. What, what is your family's heritage and what kind of cuisines did you cook? Um, so my family's mostly, um, I'd say mostly Irish. Um, but um, I don't know. I think it was just sort of California cuisine. There was a doctor who lived in, like a nutritionist and doctor who lived in Sonoma County um, in the 80s that was very influential on my mom and her cooking. Um, she took a lot of cooking classes from him. His name was Dr. McDougall. And um, it was sort of like when we were trying to learn about, um, you know, more vegan recipes. And his whole philosophy was eating dairy-free, meat-free, and very high in vegetables and grains. Um so I think that definitely influenced the kinds of things that she made for us growing up versus what she grew up eating, uh, which was more like, you know, casseroles and meats and potatoes probably. <laughs> she grew up in L.A. Both my parents grew up in L.A. So, let's, yeah. Let's talk about work a little bit. So you went through a formative education, which was really laden with the arts. How did you choose school? I mean, how did, how, how did you transfer that education into the workforce? Um, so when it came time to choose a college, um, I ended up choosing UC Santa Barbara because they had a good art program, um, but also just because I really love the place. I have family in Santa Barbara and grew up going there every summer and just really wanted to be near the ocean. And I think that was another sort of um, part that was inspiring for me. And also my uncle, who, who is an artist, uh, lives there, and he was a source of inspiration for me. Um, but coming out of college I had studied abroad in Italy and that was a really formative year. I went to the Academy of Fine Arts in Bologna and studied sculpture and that was a year I I first really got into photography. I got my first real camera that year and um, traveled a lot that year all over. I went to India and Africa and all over Europe and just took pictures and would bring them back to my classes and show them and um, coming back from that uh, I had one more year of college and really ended up shooting a lot of food that year. And Bologna is the, some say, the culinary capital of Italy. So um, I was also shooting food in Italy that year and brought that sort of learning back with me. Let's talk about the foods of Bologna. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people think that it's just bologna. <laughs> but I think it's actually the hometown of Mortadella uh, was actually made initially there. Uh -huh. what, what kind of food were you surrounded by uh, around? So I was vegetarian vegetarian at that time um so i wasn't sampling a lot of what they had to offer they have some really beautiful meats and everything but um, i lived with four italian girls who were all in college and they made pasta every night like every kind of pasta you can imagine and i was shocked at how many different kinds of pasta <laughs> dishes they could come up with what shapes did you see oh every shape every shape i mean it was usually spaghetti but um, just like really, really simple pairings with pasta, you know, just like olive oil and red peppers and broccoli or aglio io pepperoncino, you know, like just super simple things. And I think I was attracted that, to that kind of simple cooking um, that just highlights a couple of ingredients. Did you cook with your family while growing up or was this one of your first times where you like cooked for yourself? I know we cooked a lot growing up. Yeah. I feel like I was always in the kitchen growing up. Yeah. Making really simple vegetable-based dishes still, but, um, yeah, we cooked a lot. <laughs> what were some of your favorite vegan dishes? 
in your childhood? That is a good question. What were stumping me? Yeah, let's let's <laughs> go back to Italy then. Let's talk about some of the other foods and the markets and the vegetables and the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I just what do I what do I think of when I think of Italy? I think of arugula seemed to be all over Italy. Um, and in a lot of dishes more than I had seen it in California. An eggplant, I think I really got sold on eggplant that year because uh, my roommates cooked with it a lot and I hadn't really cooked with it that much. Um, yeah. What kind of preparations? I mean, how do, you, how do you now cook eggplant? I love eggplant now. I cook it a lot. Um, I usually just slice it into thin circles, cover it in olive oil and salt, and roast it yeah. until it's brown, flip it so it's brown on both sides. But that's one of my favorite things for sure so Italy was a big influence on both your art and food lives mm -hmm. um, what food were you photographing in Italy and why um, I was really doing more conceptual projects um, surrounding food sort of still life you know scenes that I constructed using mostly produce um, so it wasn't as much shooting in restaurants like I did later but um, I think just being around all that food um, and the colors of it and the outdoor markets and um, just the fresh produce everywhere, um, the color, I think, was a big source of inspiration. Still lifes. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of great, you know, Italian masters that did still lifes. Were mm -hmm. there any specific people or artists um, that kind of influence your style? Mm -hmm. I always love the work of Martin Parr. And he shoots um, in a documentary style, which is a little bit different than what I'm doing now. I was sort of into that for a while, but um, he captures the color um, of food in a really fun way, um, just sort of out and about in life, not very constructed. Um, so yeah. did you have a specific outlet for this work, or was it just an exploration? I think my outlet was just school, being able to show it in crit classes and create a portfolio for myself that I thought I could use after I got out of school. You put this portfolio together, what was in it? What, what kind of images? Because I know you, you've done from straight still life to conceptual. Mm -hmm. <coughs> what was in my college portfolio? It was not that good, I'll <laughs> tell you that. Um, it was sort of portraiture mixed with um, colorful produce, I think, and even some candy, and I was doing some I don't know, just bizarre things with egg yolks floating in Windex and crazy stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it wasn't really until grad school that I started to be able to hone in a little bit more on still life and sort of constructing or composing images in a more interesting way. <laughs> so let's go to grad school. Where did you go and what were you studying? Yeah, so I went to grad school at School of Visual Arts in New York. And um, I think it really helped me um, focus on food in a way that I hadn't done before. I was a little bit more scattered. And um, starting out, they sort of set you out to um, just sort of shoot whatever you're drawn to for a while and then come back with those images. And I ended up coming back with mostly food photos. And so they were sort of like, you know, why don't you stick with this for a while? You don't have to make it your main thing, but, um, you know focus on food for a while and we'll see what happens so I did and eventually I ended up um, 
shooting a cookbook for my thesis um, with uh, the restaurant run by Will Goldfarb, Room for Dessert, which is in Soho. And I had this idea of, um, well, I was really attracted, I think I read about him initially in The New Yorker and just thought, wow, he's doing some amazing creative things surrounding food. And um, I approached him, I just like went into the restaurant one night and said, I'm doing this project, like, would you be interested in collaborating? And he was totally into it, and he was really open to it. He ended up being so busy that um, Bob Pruitt ended up plating most of what I shot, Um, and Pam Young was also working there at the time, and they both really helped me with the project. Um, But my idea was to create a series of diptychs. On one side, it was Will's um, dessert, and there were these really sort of conceptual, bizarre desserts that had, um, you know, interesting names, and they were based on dreams and trips and um, just very constructed desserts that were so fascinating and interesting and colorful and full of texture that I wanted to photograph them, and I, I shot them really simply on black and white backgrounds um, just in the little restaurant. I literally shot, like, in the window on the sandwich board <laughs> because there was no space mm. there. Um, And then using a lot of the same ingredients that he used in those dishes, I then created a series of still life collages to match them. So it was sort of like, this is what he did with the ingredients and this is what I did with the ingredients. But it was also a way to show um, the ingredients that were actually in that dish because looking at the dish, you might not really know what's in it. And they had fun ingredients like nerds and lucky charms and marshmallows and things like that. Do you remember some of the elements of his dishes other than those? I I know he made like this crazy beet tasting one time and it was like beet four ways and I can't even I don't think I shot that one yeah. but um, <clears throat> he stenciled words on top of uh, I think meringue like he had one called Lucky um, actually I don't even know if the dish was called Lucky but it had Lucky stenciled on it and he had um, one called Red that had all these different shades of red sort of mixed together. So he was also inspired by color too, which is perhaps why I was drawn to his desserts a bit. I like that the stenciling came up because it's it's you know an overlay of, of text on mm-hmm. food. Yeah, it's that's just, true. I never thought of that. <laughs> you know, so you're eventually getting to this point where you're incorporating those two you know elements into your own mm-hmm. work. But on top of that, you you are very. Um, it's necessary for you to have a hand in what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. I know Martin Parr is an amazing documentary photographer, but you really like, or seemingly, uh, enjoy having a part, playing a part, and showing your hand in, mm-hmm. in, in the final imagery. Um, why was it so important for you to have that diptych, to, to show someone's work and then show your work relative to that? I think I'm, I've always been interested in showing the parts of a whole, Um, So that was my way of showing, like, sort of deconstructing the whole and showing the parts that go into it. Um, And that's still what I'm doing now. I'm sort of, I always seem to think in diptych forms, like two images that go together, one that shows the whole and one that shows the the parts of the whole. Um, And, yeah, even now with my blog, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, even if I think about, like, I was obsessed with diagramming sentences when I was in elementary school. (laughs) I just, like, really like breaking down the whole somehow and seeing the, um, the parts of it. Let's talk about Room for Dessert again. Um, you just walked in. You mm-hmm. read about it, and you just walked in, and that's how you began that relationship. Mm-hmm. How did you continue that relationship working with Will and 
what other restaurants and chefs did you start working with? Yeah, so my work with Will really was just uh, throughout my thesis project. Um, and then soon after that, I think he moved away, and um, I, I sort of lost contact with him a bit. But I was volunteering as a photographer at the James Beard Foundation around that same time, sort of while I was in grad school and coming out of grad school. And um, I tried to always pick chefs that were based in New York who were, um, you know, cooking there so that I could connect a little bit and then reach out to them later and maybe collaborate. Um, but, yeah, I think um, I got really interested in working with chefs and sort of seeing their process and getting in the kitchen with them a little bit. Um, although I was always more interested in the finished dish and sort of that beauty shot rather than getting the whole documentary feel of the kitchen and everything. Let's talk about chefs. I know you have relationships with some. Who are they and where do they cook and what do they Yeah. Um, so coming out of that pastry project that I did with Will, um, I started reaching out to other pastry chefs. Um, and people were really, really nice about inviting me to come and shoot. And I created this series of work that... Um, was all based on pastry, and it was sort of the same idea um, of pairing, um, or sorry, it was sort of the same idea of shooting things in a really minimalistic way, just on white or in black, to really show um, these desserts as pieces of art or little sculptures almost. Um, so Johnny Uzzini was really nice and invited me to come, and I um, took a lot of photographs of his wild desserts. <laughs> <laughs> And Piche Ong, too, I just reached out to him um, because I really liked what he was doing, and he let me come to the restaurant and shoot a lot of his dishes. Um, Elizabeth Faulkner, when I was out here in San Francisco, um, I went and shot with her one day. So I sort of, um, Francois Payard, I did a whole series on his stuff. Um, in a different way, I was sort of making these collages um, where I was using pages of magazines and pictures of, like, really um, ornate, ornate um, interiors and making it look like the dessert lived there. <laughs> sort of the dessert was my subject. So I did a whole series of those with Francois's um, desserts and, you know, he was amazing and gave me all these desserts to photograph and take back to my um, studio and create a series of work based on desserts. Yeah. So I think also partially my interest in dessert is not only because of color, but because I was vegetarian at the time and I couldn't try a lot of other things. So <laughs> desserts were like really exciting to me. Yeah. No, it's kind of, I, I don't often think about the idea that you never really finish with that kind of protein. If you, it's mainly sweet uh -huh. and sometimes, you know, cheeses and yeah. That's, yeah. So vegetarians and vegans love dessert uh -huh. really noted. <laughs> uh, what, what are some of your favorite desserts oh man anything chocolate like flourless chocolate cake or gelato um yeah I'm de i definitely go towards the chocolates more than the fruity things let's let's talk about cookbooks at that time what what influenced you so there were two books that i was looking at a lot during that time and even wrote about in my thesis as uh, being inspiring to my thesis project. And uh, The Taste of Black is one photo. Um, it's sort of... Cons uh, the Taste of Black is one <laughs> cookbook that um, sort of highlights all these different foods that are dark or black, and everything's shot on a light box, white background. Very conceptual idea of thinking about food and color together, but black. <laughs> um, concepts and photos in the book are by Bjorn Lindberg, and the recipes are by Jonas Borson, 
And then another book that uses a lot of color and collage and highlighting ingredients the way I was interested in, in that is uh, a book by Olivier Roulanger and it's called Contemporary French Cuisine and it's 50 recipes inspired by the sea and some of his ingredients are shot on light table um, on white backgrounds and then I think compiled in Photoshop which is sort of interesting to look back at that book now and think about how much Photoshop I use in my own work Yeah. and perhaps that was sort of subconsciously <laughs> moving me in the direction I'm going now Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You were in New York for years uh, and decided to make a move back out west, close to where you grew up. Tell me about that decision and why Forest Feast was such an important part of that move. Yeah, so we ended up moving to Northern California because my husband got a job in Silicon Valley in the summer of 2011. And uh, we chose Northern California partially uh, because it was a great job, but also um, because it was close to my family. And I think moving to Silicon Valley was a little scary for me coming from Brooklyn, where there's so many creative and interesting and inspiring things going on around you all the time. Um, and coming to Silicon Valley, it felt really suburban, and um, I was having a hard time imagining myself making that transition. So when we came across an ad for a place to live um, in a little cabin in the woods, just like 20 minutes outside of Palo Alto, um, it seemed like kind of a crazy choice, but also an exciting and sort of different choice um, for starting our new life in California. So we jumped on that and ended up moving to the woods. And uh, it feels very familiar to me because it's a similar terrain to where I grew up. Um, but for Jonathan, I think it was really different. He grew <laughs> up in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. So, uh, but he loves it. I think he really likes it. And it feels different. And um, you know, we thought we don't have kids, um, and why not just try it for a little while? So moving to California, you know, we came mostly for his job, and I was starting over. I had, you know, years of freelance clients built up in New York, and 
coming to California, I was really um, starting afresh. So I started making a new portfolio, and I thought a nice way to be able to, you know, motivate myself to keep making new work was to start a blog. And I went for Tumblr because of its visual layout, and um, I just decided to call it the Forest Feast because I was shooting food in the woods. So um, it really just started as a way for me to make a portfolio, and I was sort of meeting with some different editors in New York and showing them my work, and it was this really slick, minimalistic, white box-looking, um, you know, fine dining food that um, was not really the aesthetic they were going for, and they really wanted a more earthy, rustic feel, like California feel to their <laughs> the food dishes. So I was like, okay, I can do that. You know, I didn't really know any chefs out here yet to work with, so I was like, I'll just cook and. Um, you know, I'd always styled a lot of my own work, so I started collecting vintage dishes and um, props at flea markets and um, started just shooting what I thought, um, you know, would sort of have that earthy vibe. And it also very much fit with the surroundings that I was now in. So, um, yeah, that was the way the Forest Feast sort of came about. And then, yeah. So let's talk about these surroundings. Explain where we are. <laughs> yeah, so we're sitting on the deck right now, looking out over a sea of redwood trees. Um, I shoot a lot outside here, actually entirely outside, which was a total change from the way I was working in New York. I always shot with lights that I brought everywhere. Um, and actually, Michael, shooting with you <laughs> at Encanto when I first arrived and watching you shoot with uh, natural light, I was, like, blown away. I, I, I just... I had never thought of shooting with only natural light really which sounds bizarre but I just brought my lights everywhere I think that's because the way I, I was sort of trained to to shoot in school um but watching you shoot with natural light I thought oh you know after you were done with that cookbook shoot um I thought I can I can try that so I, I came back and I started shooting outdoors and um the light here is really amazing I think the light is partially what um inspires me to shoot here and in the morning, often it's really foggy. There's just a big white sheet of fog out there. And, um, you know, it burns off around 11 or so. But um, it's like a softbox in the sky, right? So really soft shadows. And late in the day, I end up shooting a lot, like, late in the day after the sun sort of sinks down behind the mountain a little bit. And there's this sort of, like, nice golden light outside. But um, I had just walk around the property. The property's not huge. I don't know exactly, half acre or something like that. But I end up um, just, you know, walking around the property and looking for logs that have fallen or a mossy spot that's green from the rain or, um, you know the deck I use sometimes like the hardwood on the deck or whatever so I'm just always looking at the ground <laughs> looking for <laughs> new spots I feel like any future place I live I will take a good look at the ground before I move in <laughs> so these surroundings which are just epic um, just, just a wonderful place to be creative um, how do you pair the food with that because you have so much visual inspiration what, what is your food inspiration yeah, so really, I just started cooking whatever came in my CSA box every week. John got a CSA box that was delivered to his office, and he would bring it home every Tuesday. And I was working from home trying to figure my life out, and I had this bag of beautiful produce. And so I just started um, shooting it and cooking things with it, and um, that was really the inspiration for the recipes. And I, I've sort of stuck with that. It's mostly based on local produce. So talk about some of the produce that you got here that you didn't, you know, 
Yeah, so, you know, we had a CSA in Brooklyn, too. (laughs) And you don't get it all year round um, the way you do in California. So, you know, we're getting, like, beautiful tomatoes and citrus and avocados. We get avocados every week, pretty much, um, because they're grown in the Central Valley. And, you know, persimmons and pomegranates and um, eggplant, just everything. Um, Of course, the summer is more bountiful, but really we get a good amount of produce all year round much more than um, in Brooklyn. So, you know, in a way that sort of, for my, my blog readers, um, that could be a little misleading when I'm using avocados in winter, but um, I, I don't claim to be a purist. I'm, I think it's nice to start with seasonal local produce, but, um, you know, I'm totally fine with buying a tomato in the winter if I really need it for something. So I don't want to be too strict on that but I think it's a nice place to start if you can buy local produce so let's start from the beginning uh, as far as recipes go what what was your first post and recipe on forest fees so the first couple weeks of posting were not even really recipes I was just creating these still lifes um uh sort of with the woods as a backdrop um and I think my first two actual recipes you could see like the first few posts I was trying to figure things out a little bit um and then I did this one post. I remember it very clearly. It was roasted acorn squash. And I was looking for a place to shoot this roasted squash. It was the finished dish, and I'm walking all over the property trying to find, like, a good spot to set it. And I came upon this um, log, like an old log of a tree that had been taken down. And you could see all the rings of the wood, and they were sort of like this beautiful orange um, you know, brownish color in these rings. And then I looked at my acorn squash and it was like the same colors, this round shape with these same shades of orange and brown. And I thought, aha, I can put the, the, the acorn squash right there. And I shot it and it was like, that's the shot. (laughs) So then I thought, oh, what else can I do this with? So I do sort of try to think about the colors in a dish and the textures and try to match them with what I find on, you know, the forest floor. Let's talk about conceptually how you photograph and how you overlay with watercolor. Um, there seems to be a recipe, an, ingre- an ingredient, a recipe shot, and mm-hmm. a fi- you know finished dish. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you compose those two things? Yeah, so I always shoot the recipe first, which is usually displayed on the left-hand side. So I take all the ingredients that will be in the dish, and I lay them all out on the ground or on a piece of wood or on a piece of fabric, and I shoot it from overhead, um, and I think about uh, leaving enough room in between things for text and sort of placing things in an order that um, will allow me to write the recipe on it later. And then I take all those ingredients inside, and I cook it, and then I make the dish, and then I come back out, um, and I start walking around the property looking for a place to set that plate. (laughs) Um, And then I take it all into the studio and uh, put it all into Photoshop, and then I add my handwriting um, using a tablet right into an empty layer in Photoshop. So the my handwriting is overlaid right on top of the image. And then I like to have a watercolor um, title to go with each recipe post. And it's the same format in the book. Um, and I choose a font that I feel like sort of matches the dish and the, the you know, the colors of the dish and everything. And I paint um, the watercolor title, the letters, and then I usually paint a couple of the ingredients um, to highlight alongside. And so that serves as like, um, a title and then 
the sort of diagram is below and then the finished dish follows. Let's talk about some of those dishes. What were some of your favorite recipes that you've developed? Oh, I think one of my favorites um, is, well, I just told you this the other day. So I think one of my favorites is uh, the eggplant tacos. And it's basically just circles of eggplant that have been browned by being roasted in the oven. And then you put a piece of brie and a piece of cilantro in there and you squeeze it like a little mini taco. And that's it. <laughs> but that's like one of my personal favorite things to eat. And, you know, it was inspired by the eggplant and the cilantro that came in my CSA. But also sometimes I'm just like, what can I do with what I have in my fridge? And I happen to have brie in the fridge that day and I tried it with it and I was like, ooh, this is good. So that's stuck and it's going in my book. You have a protocol of how you work, but you break rules when it comes to recipes a little bit. Um, how how do you cook? I mean, you cut things at different angles, and <laughs> you, you do all these things that a lot of people wouldn't think to do. Is it is it visually driven? Is it culinary driven? I think it's definitely visually driven. Um, in cutting things, I'm often looking for shapes that I think will look nice together being plated. Um, but I think I'm definitely thinking about flavors that go with each other. Um, and, you know, I don't have a culinary training background. I'm definitely a home cook. Um, and that's why my recipes are really simple. A lot of them are salads or um, simple vegetable dishes or things that don't even need cooking. It's just sort of a combining of a couple different ingredients. But I try to find flavors and ingredients that I think work well together and might be slightly surprising. Um, but that I think are tasty. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those pairings. What, what, what were like aha moments? Oh, so um, I got a lot of avocados and oranges one week in the CSA, probably in the winter, and um, I wanted to make an orange salad, and so I was slicing these oranges into big round circles, and then I had these big avocados that were sort of the same size, and I thought, oh, like oranges and avocados, that citrus flavor could go nice. And then I thought about cutting the avocado into circles to match the circular shape of the citrus, and then I sort of layered them to see the green and the orange next to each other, and then just like a little bit of herbs and salt and pepper and olive oil, um, and it was pretty good. I tried it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to shoot this. I'm going to make another one and shoot it for the blog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sometimes you make things, eat them, and go like, shoot, I should have put that on the blog yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> yeah give, give me a couple more dishes recipes that um, are in the book another really simple one is just fresh figs uh, sprinkled with goat cheese honey and red pepper flakes and mint and that's it yeah just keep, really simple you keep on saying that's it but there's so much work that goes into just <laughs> making it right you know make, making that dish conceptually work so yeah it's a lot more than that's it you know yeah I mean I guess um I like the idea that it's you know simple things that anyone can just chop and put together and it doesn't have to look you know perfect in any way it's just those flavors going together um so I feel like it's simple um, there's not a lot of time you know involved in chopping those few things um but yeah, I mean, I did, you know, taste it and eat it and try it with some different types of cheese and herbs and everything. But um, I want things to be easy and approachable and, you know, look pretty, but in a way that doesn't look intimidating so that people will actually try and make them. Because it's not just personally for you to, and you know, look at, be enamored by and eat. Um, you do some entertaining. And how important mm -hmm. is it for 
food to be easy to make and easy to eat uh, in, in that kind of setting. Yeah, it's definitely important. I mean, I'm always trying to think of things that can be served at room temperature because it's so hard to serve things hot, especially when you have a crowd coming over. <laughs> um, so a lot of my dishes um, can be served at room temperature. Um, was that your question? Yeah, that works. <laughs> Cocktails. Cocktails, yeah. So um, I think it's fun to serve one sort of special cocktail in addition to beer and wine when you're having a party. And even if it's just like in a pitcher. Um, but yeah, I have a, a whole cocktail section on the blog and on the book and in the book. And, um, you know, it's pretty simple stuff, but I try to do um, some know maybe a little bit different stuff that anyone could do at home like freezing lemon and mint into ice cubes or freezing blueberries and using them instead of ice like something just a little cute and easy that makes it feel special and different and clever any ingredients that you're just totally in love with right now Mm, persimmons <laughs> um, persimmons are everywhere right now in the Bay Area and a friend of mine has a huge tree and she brought me a big bag of them the other day and I make everything with persimmons in the fall I went a little overboard last year I think I had somebody write me and be like um, okay we're done with persimmons we can't get them where we live and <laughs> we're done but um, specifically the fuyu persimmons because you can eat them with the skin on when they're not ripe you know they can be like a little crunchy like an apple and not leave that weird pasty taste in your mouth but I have them both like um in sweet dishes and also like in savory dishes like last um actually I think the last two thanksgivings I've made a persimmon salad that has cilantro and uh, onions and pomegranates and avocado um that's really good they're beautiful yeah, they're so pretty. I probably just initially love them because of the color. <laughs> um, other ingredients? Mm. I mean, obviously avocados are absurd here. Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of cilantro in the CSA, and I know people don't really like cilantro, so I end up swapping that out with basil sometimes. I think that's interchangeable. But other ingredients. We talked about sorry. <laughs> you know, photography, we talked a little about watercolor in your process. Um, what equipment do you use? I use a Nikon D800, and most of the time I use a 50 millimeter lens. And I have a longer, like, macro 105 lens too, but um, I just use, like, one reflector or no reflector if it's foggy. <laughs> and um, that's it. That's really it. <laughs> natural life is amazing yeah it is amazing and it it's so varied too obviously we're sitting right now and it's beaming mm -hmm. uh, you know into our faces but again i never thought of the the haze the cloud it's the soft box but i always tell clients i'm like oh yeah let's shoot this day They're like it's going to be rainy i'm like yeah i know that's good <laughs> you don't want direct sunlight you want a little bit of yep. you know uh you know soft totally you know. <laughs> um anything else that you'd like to add extend well, I think um, this idea of having a food blog was not something that I set out to do, and um, I'm, I've been happily surprised by readers' feedback, and it's encouraged me to keep sharing recipes and even delivered this project of a book to me, which is amazing. Um, but I like the community that's sort of built around a food blog, and I think that's been surprising 
because I think one of my main motivations is, or sort of goals, is to be able to create community through food. And I really hope that my recipes look um, pretty enough and simple enough that people can actually go home and make them and then share them with people. So that's sort of one of my driving forces is the idea of um, people getting together and trying these things, cooking and eating them. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.